Well, if you, uh, what a wonderful service to be in today, amen? Jerry and Karen, what a husband and wife team. How neat is that? How sweet is that? I love those songs too. Your singing has been so encouraging today. So if you see me limping around, it's because I love to get attention. Uh, <laughs> so just pay attention to me and treat me real nice. I like to say I have an old football injury because that sounds so cool, except I didn't play football. So the truth is, I got Lois upset, and she drop-kicked my knee this week, and that's the truth. And so the truth of the matter is, I think I'm supposed to eat salad all the time, and because I don't, this is what we get. So you can pray for me that I'm disciplined to eat salad all the time. I have spent the better part of my adult life Welcome, Lydia. I haven't seen you for a while. It's nice to have you here. Yeah. Lydia's been gone a long time, and she's back there going, Pastor, if you're not going to come visit me, I'm going to come visit you. So anyway, there she is. It's so nice to see her. I spent a, a, a big part of my adult life scouring the Bible for the family promises of the Bible. I always love the family promises of the Bible. Um, one of them is beautifully expressed in Isaiah, Isaiah 44. Our text is going to be in the Psalms today, but I'm just referring to this. Isaiah 44, 3 and 4 says, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. And then it gives this picture. And they'll spring up like willows by the watercourses. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, and they will spring up like willows by the watercourses. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He says, uh, I will give my spirit to your children and grandchildren, and they'll be spirits. It's a promise of spiritual vitality. That's one I would like to claim. Don't you love it when people that you love have intimacy with the Lord? A few years ago, Hope was sick. Our baby, Hope, was sick, and our second youngest uh, boy, Wesley, was sick. And they, were, they stayed home from church. And um, that day I got home and I was sitting in my chair and Hope says to me, when you were at church, I sat in this chair. And Do you remember this, Hope? <laughs> and Wes sat over in this chair and he read the Bible to me. <laughs> Something about that warms my heart. For a couple of reasons. One, that because there were two young people that really were seeking God, even though they couldn't go to church. And, and it, it was also an expression of they're, they're, they're very close and they love each other a lot. And I could see them in that room. And it warmed my heart to think of two kids together encouraging one another in the Lord. I got to believe the Father looks at us like that. He wants us to know that He loves us intimately. And He wants us to enjoy the experience of intimacy with Him real nearness, real closeness. This is what I want to talk about today. Jesus was grieved when people didn't give him their hearts. He said, some people will honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He wants our hearts to be near to him. My purpose today is to help you, to help us deepen our intimacy with the Lord. And to do that, I'm going to point out something that God used in my life so powerfully when I needed my intimacy with the Lord deepened. I was away up north, and I was seeking the Lord, and I was seeking nearness to the Lord, 
And I got up early in the morning, and I took my Bible, and I hiked out to an old building site that was torn down that was high overlooking this lake it was a beautiful summer morning and and you could hear the wind in the pines and the bird songs and I had this particular Bible with me that day and I happened to notice and I remembered in in my Bible I remembered that there was a, a special expression of intimacy to the Lord in Psalm 42 and then I also remembered that morning there was a special expression of intimacy with the Lord in Psalm uh, 63 Psalm these are our texts today Psalm 42 and Psalm 63 and that they are very they're very much alike they have a lot in common in these two Psalms what I'd like to show you today beautifully as the Lord showed me is six ways to deepen your intimacy with God and you find these six things in both of these psalms that express intimacy with God in terms that are very unusual. So let's begin by looking at Psalm 42. Here's what the, the sons of Korah said. Probably the sons of Korah were describing an experience that David had. I believe that both of these psalms come in, out of the experience of David. But this one is by the sons of Korah. The 63 is by David. But listen, as I read, what I want you to listen for is how a relationship with God is expressed in terms of intimacy or terms of endearment or affectional terms. That we, we're, we're, we're to think of our relationship with God in terms of affection, endearment, of love. This is common. Men and women, not just women, men and women. Now, now, so the, some of these men that wrote these psalms, you wouldn't want to say they were girls. They weren't girls. David, would, David could hurt you bad, right? David could hurt you real bad. David had people that could hurt you real bad. You would not want to say this to David. You wouldn't want to suggest that David was something less than a man. And yet he spoke about God in terms of intimacy. This is something I think we should cultivate and learn it was what God intended. There's a joy in it. There's a fulfillment in it. There's something in it for us that we don't want to live without. Listen to the way a relationship with God is expressed in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, call, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to God of my life. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, 
for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is a, this is a song uh, by the sons of Korah, a lament, and uh, an appropriate way to express our angst, our grief when we're going through something hard. And yet, notice how the terms of intimacy that are used in it. This gives us a hint about how we should relate to God. Now, look in Psalm 63, and then we're going to compare six comparisons between the two that are going to show you six ways to deepen your intimacy with God. But for a bit of Psalm 63, notice how similar they are. Um, David is in the wilderness of Judah, forced out there. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry, weary land where there is no water, so I have long looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me and then... He goes into a section where he talks about his enemies. We'll return to that. So let me just share these six things. Number one, how do you deepen your intimacy with the Lord? Number one, make intimacy with God your first daily priority. Make intimacy with God your first daily priority. This doesn't mean that you're supposed to have a kind of a slavish obedience to some kind of devotional practice that requires you checking certain boxes. That might work against intimacy with God. That's not how intimacy with a person works, Right? That's not how that works. It might be just simple gestures. I won't go into too much detail. But every once in a while, when we were dating, I would reach over and I would take Lois's hand. And then I would do something you would never do with any other woman on earth, not your mother, not your sister, not anybody else. I would put my fingers between her fingers. And we never actually talked about this. It would be, this is the kind of thing I always get in trouble for talking about when I get home. But I would put my fingers between her fingers. And she would squeeze my hand. There was an intimacy in that that I cherish to this day. You, you, want, you don't want to say, I need to hold my wife's hand first thing in the morning for at least one minute and 15 seconds. That'd just be weird, right? You, you don't get, like, I, I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is I have a little card that, hey, Lois, I want you to know I love you today. I will always love you. She'd be like, don't be reading your card to me. You know, take me to breakfast. That's what she would say. Go get me something at McDonald's. That's what she would say. Seriously, that was what she would say. Um, she was like, like that, so God isn't impressed. Can I say, I mean, he's loving. He's, he, 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 he reads your heart and he watches your eyes, but he's not impressed with your disciplines. Right? And he's, very, his souls are very broad. He's all powerful. He's not going, oh my goodness, look how disciplined you are. But when the f sunlight falls through the window on the floor, and when you look at that, and that when that makes your heart rise up in thanksgiving, that puts a smile on his face. When you recognize that sunlight is a gift from God, any Michiganders in the house that recognize sunlight is a gift from God, like send me your gifts, Lord. We love living in Michigan, especially on the three days the sun shines. 
Make intimacy with God your first daily priority. That's what it's saying here in chapter 63, verse 1. Oh, God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. That's diligently. That's early. Early I seek you. You're my first priority. That's the first thing I want to think about. As I get up in the morning, I'm having Godward thoughts. And so it is there in Psalm 42. You see that there right away. As the deer pants for flowing streams, my, pant, my soul pants for you and thirsts for you. This is, you know this, the deer go to water in the morning and in the evening. The first thing, they're thirsty. They're going. First thing, first thing in the morning, if you want to have intimacy with God all day, for, people know this. Don't commit yourself to a series of rigid disciplines, though some of you are wired that way, and so, you know, there's a caveat for that. But I'm just saying, because some people are really good. Like, um, I, I bet you that there are people here who are like super highly organized, and this is freaking them out right now, because that's how they, God wired them. For them, they're going to be okay. But for the most of us, you know, maybe we aren't like highly disciplined, we're more relational, we're, we're, like, we're, more, uh, we're more affectional, and I would just say, God knows what you're like, but first thing in the morning, have a routine of some kind that you're that you're recognizing to make you're making intimacy with God your first daily priority. Okay, here's the second thing. Think of intimacy with God like food, water and breath or or coffee for your soul. You know, think of think of intimacy with God like food or water, a breath or, or, or coffee. Okay? Think of it like I I can't live without, well, you can live without coffee. I was trying hard to be funny there. But you can't live without water, and you can't live without breath, and this is what you see here. Oh, God, verse chapter uh, 63, Psalm 63. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry, weary land where there's no water. He's saying intimacy with God, intimacy, fellowship, love for God is like water for your soul. Without it, you're going to die. It's like breathing. Without it, you're not going to live. Are you tracking with me? It doesn't say performing religious duties is like breathing. It says intimacy with God, you personally, my intimacy with you, that's like breathing. Without it, you can't spiritually live. So it says in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the flowing streams, my soul pants, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. If you don't have a category for this, there's a huge chunk of the Christian life you're missing altogether. The biggest part of it, this is the whole idea that we would have. The, the storyline of the Bible is, oh, look, there's a garden where they're with God and they walk with him in the cool of the day and he loves them and they love him back and they talk. Oh, no, 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 now that's broken. This is sad end of the Bible. There's another garden. It's a beautiful eternal garden. And one of the main features is what? God is there among his people forever. Unbroken intimacy. We're all around the family table. We're all laughing at the same things. We're all eating good food. We're all enjoying each other's company. There are no misunderstandings. And at the head of the table is God. This is the heart of the Christian life. We can't live without it. We were hiking on North Manitou Island, and um, we, myself and our, my four boys, our four boys, and our oldest grandson, and we're hiking on North Manitou Island, and we had a terrible meltdown. And, um, but we finally hobbled over to the east side of the island in order to get off the island in time for the ferry, because I had a speaking engagement. That was a very hard day. That hike, it was a very, very hard hike. We built a raft. The guys tried to drag me around the island on a raft in the water. It was 
it, was, it wasn't funny then. It's really funny now to think about it. We finally got on the east side of that island and the storm was coming in and we threw up a tent really fast, an illegal camping ground. It was an emergency. We just threw a tent up there on the shore and it was thrown up so quickly it was like we pitched a tent over saplings that were down. This is not the way you want to spend the night. Storm is coming in and, and we dive into the tent and we're laying in the tent going, wow, I'm glad we're here. You know, we're probably going to make the ferry in the morning. That was a horrible day. As a matter of fact, I remember our son, Wesley, I said, well, Wes, why don't you pray? <laughs> and I'll never forget. Wesley's prayer was, Lord, thank you for this day. I'm so glad it's over. <laughs> that was his, everybody laughed. That was almost the last thing that I heard anybody say, but we had two tents. And I was with, in this tent with Dan and Wes, and Chuck and Kyle and little Kyle were in the other tent, and I could hear them having a conversation. There was a little boy's voice. Daddy, do we have any water? Daddy, do we have any water? I knew what was going to come next because the guys had left me the Nalgene, the last bottle of water, and I was having trouble hiking, so I drank what I needed in the... <laughs> you wouldn't want to hang out with me. I poured the rest of it out. So there was no water because I poured the last of it out. You got to, you know, pump the water, you know. Kyle's a good dad. You know, he hears the little Kyle going, Daddy, is there any water? Kyle's like, Dad do you have that water? I'm like, it's all gone. He goes, all of it? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> 32 ounces. Uh, he goes, okay. And then it's pouring rain now, just, just coming down in sheets. And Kyle gets out of the tent and he goes down to the lake and he pumps and purifies some water for little Kyle. And then you hear him come back to the tent and go, Kyle, wake up. <laughs> I got your water. <laughs> Never forget that little scene. Why did Kyle do that? because he says, my boy needs water. My boy gets water. We need water. You need God more than you need water. You don't need just God. You need intimacy with God. You need to know God loves you. You need to love God. If you're a man and this is hard for you to figure out, you want to figure this out in your lifetime, this might be something that you've been missing all of your life. Intimacy with God. You were made for it like water, like breathing, like air. Cultivation and awareness of the presence of God it should be continual too. Well, it should be like continually, like kind of all day, like eating and drinking and breathing. Is this the way you live your life? Is this the way you think? I'm not trying to burden you with something. I'm trying to teach you how God made you to work at your best. This isn't some kind of religious weirdness, like, oh, those richest over-the-top people. You know, they're always like some kind of like pie in the sky, by and by. They never operated a backhoe in their life. You know, these are all kind of like way off. And like, like that guy wouldn't, you know, he, he wouldn't be able to drive a bulldozer if you paid him to do it. It's like, no, I know guys that have intimacy with God. I knew a guy who had intimacy with God. It was like a, he had a huge machine. I don't even know what it, what it was called. It would, but it was so big that it would uproot trees. Now, that would be like a power thing. When it's like, I have a machine and it uproots trees. And he would drive around the woods with this machine uproots trees. He was a big old burly dude with a beard. But when you talked about the things of God, a tear would form and go down his face. Yeah, he understood intimacy with God. He knew he was a real man. You say something. One time a guy says, oh, when a person, when a man says he loves Jesus, it sounds gay to me. The guy says that. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's so sad. You have so much to learn. You have so much to learn. You are made to be loved by God, male, female. 
You are made to love him back. This is the language of devotion in the New Testament. And, and what I'm going to get at here, and we're going to move to the next point, but it'll take me a bit to get there. But what I want to get to here is that this is like start of the morning thinking this way and continually throughout the day cultivate an awareness of the presence of the Lord and intimacy with the Lord. Somebody said the best place to start doing life is in the small moments, Psalm 118.24. This is the day the Lord has made. So we'll rejoice and we'll be glad in it. First Thessalonians 4.11 says, aspire to lead a quiet life, to work with your hands. And whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do to the glory of God, the computer program, to the glory of God, teaching, to the glory of God, you're a mom, to the glory of God, you operate heavy equipment, to the glory of God, you work on a factory floor, to the glory of God, there's worship in it, you're doing it with God, you're doing it for God, changes everything, this is the way that God wants us to think about our life, everything is an expression of my fellowship with God, my intimacy with God. Um, mountains and oceans are wonderful. If you can go to the mountain and you can go to the ocean and if you're near to God, that's wonderful. Christmas and Easter are wonderful, but you, but you have another 363 days of the year. So it's good to have ordinary places and ordinary times that you meet with the Lord. This is a very important thing. We understand that we meet God in ordinary times. And, and he will surprise us. He will slip up on us when we weren't expecting it, when we were ill, or when we were sad, or when we were lost. I had an experience this week in a hospital. It was kind of sweet. I, I was visiting somebody in the hospital, and I saw a man, and that, something attracted me to him. He's an old trucker-looking guy walking across the parking lot. I had a ball cap on, had one of those shirts that you have your name on it, you know, and he was like a good dude, you know, like God home apple pie and guys like that. You know, he's walking across the, walking across the parking lot, and I just was sitting in my car and I just looked at him and thought about him for a minute. And I wondered, why is he here? Is somebody sick in his family? When, then uh, two days later, I came back to the hospital again, and guess what happened? He stepped onto the elevator with me. And I said, hey, I saw you the other day. I thought about you. What you doing up here? You got family. He goes, my dad is dying. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, yeah, I come and see him every day. I'm like, oh. I said, you love your dad. Yeah, I do. He was a trucker who loved his dad. Now, I believe with all of my heart that meetings like that are divine appointments. I don't think that stuff happens. I think God makes that stuff happen. And I want to be the kind of person that lives with a God awareness all the time. John Bailey, in A Diary of Private Prayer, is a gorgeous little devotional book full of prayers that he wrote. He wrote this prayer one day. Give me, O God, this day a strong, vivid sense that you are by my side. Give me, O God, this day a strong and vivid sense that you are by my side in multitude or in solitude, in business and in leisure, in my down-sitting and in my uprising. May I ever be aware of your accompanying presence in my life. By thy grace, O God, I will go nowhere this day where you cannot come. I will not allow any companionship that would rob me of my companionship with you. By your grace, I will let no thought enter my heart that might hinder my communion with you or let any word come from my mouth that is not meant for your ear. So shall my courage be firm and my heart be at peace. Now this guy understood this. How would your life change if you had like a continual awareness of the presence of the Lord in your work, with your family, with your kids? 
Bible says in Jeremiah, can a man hide himself in a secret place so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord, do I not fill heaven and earth? <laughs> Declares the Lord, there's no place that you can go. He isn't there. One of my most memorable and important lessons during my college preparation for ministry was never in the classroom. It was a 3 a.m. in the back room of a really nasty, greasy spoon restaurant where I had to work doing dishes. I, I, I learned, it was the place where people go after the bar closes, if you can imagine. So it's a pretty seedy place. And I'm in the back room of a seedy place. I'm in the seediest part of a seediest place. And I'm doing dishes all night and I'm tired, sleep deprived. And, I, and it hit me while I was there one night. I'm not alone. God is with me. I'm not alone here. God is with me. God is with me in the doing of the dishes. And if I can't experience the presence of God in the seediest part of the seediest place, how am I going to tell people that God is real? And God used that place. It was interesting later that I stumbled across Nicholas Herman's famous book called Practicing the Presence of God. He was known as Brother Lawrence. He compiled, there were, it was, his writings were compiled and posthumously published from, from his letters. And he was a cook and a dishwasher in a Christian community in the 15th century. And, and in, his, in his book, he, he wrote this. He does not ask much of us, meaning God. He does not ask much of us. Merely a thought of him from time to time throughout the day a little act of adoration to him, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him our suffering, other times to thank him for graces past and present, which he has bestowed upon you in the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can, to lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. That least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly because he is nearer than we think. We must know before we can we we must know before we can love. In order to know God, we must often think of him. And when we come to love him, we shall then also think of him often, and our heart will be filled with him as a treasure to us. He understood this. There's a sense in which, of course, that God is. God is absolutely omnipresent. When we talk about the presence of the Lord, there's the sense. Sometimes when we talk about the presence of the Lord, we're talking about the fact that he's always present everywhere. Uh, let me give you a quick example, a beautiful example of this from Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. But there is such a thing as theologians have called thoughtful, Christians have called the cultivated presence of God. Yes, he's everywhere, but we, we don't often cultivate a sense of his presence. This is draw near to God, and he will draw near to you when you intentionally cultivate a sense of the presence of God. And then there is what some have called the manifest presence of God. There's uh, omniscience. 
God is always present. There's the cultivated presence in which we cultivate a sense of his nearness to us personally. And there's the manifest presence that uh, throughout Christian history, there have been times when God has sovereignly chosen to show himself in a very powerful way, sometimes in revival. These things ought to stir our hearts. We ought to think often that God is always present everywhere in everything. We ought to... We ought to eagerly cultivate a sense of his presence throughout our life, even in the times when it's most tempting not to. And we ought to pray always that God would pour himself out in his manifest presence. Jacob once, remember, was unaware that the presence of the Lord was in this place. Remember that? I didn't know. The presence of the Lord was in this place. Go home, look around. The presence of the Lord is in that place. In the cab of your truck, the presence of the Lord is in that place. I know that sometimes you're lonely and sometimes you're sad and other people have betrayed you or hurt you or misunderstood you or they don't care about you, but the presence of the Lord is in your life. What a difference it would make if you recognize I'm never alone. God is not with, not only with me, God is for me. And if God is for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. This is a powerful thing for us to have intimacy with God in this way. A.W. Tozer understood this in his writings. You see it. At the end of his writings, he always puts a prayer. They're always the best part of his writings. Once he wrote this, oh, in a knowledge of the holy, oh God and Father, I repent of my sinful preoccupation with things that are visible. The world has been too much with me. You were here and I didn't know it. I was blind to your presence. Please, God, open my eyes that I may behold you in and around me for Christ's sake. Amen. This is a prayer that we ought to pray to God. God, help me see the world the way you see it. Help me have a sense of your presence. That's point number two. Three, four, five, and six are so much faster. I know you're disappointed. Three, join others who have obvious spiritual vitality. In these two Psalms, you notice that he's pining, he's longing for the times when he went with other people seeking God. This happened to me today. A little bit of a tough week for me. Not, not as bad as most people. Came to the house of the Lord and the smiles of the saints. I think, Leo, maybe you were the, no, you were the second smile. Just to see their faces. Uh, Rosemary, I think you were, you were number one. You helped me out of my car. Thank you for that. Uh, like Parked close today. Sorry about that. Uh, hearing the music in the house, seeing God's people. There's something about being with God's people that will help you when you're hurting. There's something about being with God's people that will help you onto God. You need to have people in your life who love God. You need to have people in your life who seek God, who are farther down the road than you are, so you can hang around with them and it'll rub off on you. That is the way it works. And, and you see this in Psalm 63. You see it in verses 2 through 4. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because of your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, and I will bless you, and I'll lift up my my hands, in, in, in often it says, with the holy uh, convocation in the sanctuary, chapter uh, Psalm uh, 42, verses 2 through 4. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When will I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, Where's your God? This I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng to lead them in procession to the house of God. You, you need to come here and other places where saints assemble and you need to pick out people who are further down the road than you are. You need to get around them, hang out, let them rub off on you. This is the way it works. 
back to North Manitowoc. And the first time we went there, we didn't have a meltdown. It was a great, it was a great time because the boys were younger. Kyle was getting ready to go off to college. We took the, the boys, the, to, this was the two older boys at that time, to North Manitowoc to, to do a multiple, multiple day hike camp out. But I knew that I needed a guide. So I asked this guy, Mike Otis, hereafter referred to as Manitou Mike because this dude was larger than life. He came along on the trip for two reasons. Number one, the dude knew what he was doing on Manitou Island. He knew where to go, what to do. He was big and he was strong. He was a good guy. But the main reason we had Manitou Mike was because Manitou Mike loved God. And I wanted to get my boys with a guy who was young and virile and strong and powerful and loved God. And it worked. To this day, my sons look up to Mike Otis. To this day, matter of fact, not too long ago on Facebook, I noticed that Mike was seeing his two oldest boys off to their apartment in Grand Rapids, and they took a picture of dad standing with the boys. Remember that first time when your oldest kid went away and you thought your life ended? And, and he had that look in his eyes. I could see it in the picture, you know. His eyes were kind of clouded with tears. He had his boys there that he's proud of. He said, Jonas and Seamus were their boys, twin boys. He was saying goodbye. I called him, I, hey, Mike. I said, I'm praying for you. I, I could see it in your eyes. You know, but we, we spent time with Mike because Mike was going to be a good influence on us. You get people in your life, if you're a young person, it's really super important that you have, like, who do you know that's your age who really loves God that you look up to, you admire? You should have a friend like that. Pray for God to give you a friend like that. Not just your dad. Your dad's most important, your mom. But another friend that really loves God, that's making good decisions and they'll help you seek God. Ladies, you're discouraged right now, and you're going through a lot of hard things. Women in our culture have so much. Find another lady who's further down the road than you are. Maybe she's been through some of the same pain that you've been through, and let, be with her and let her grace rub off on you. It's going to help you now. How do you cultivate intimacy with God? Get with other people who have intimacy with God and watch their eyes, see what they do, be like them. This is the way it works because we have powerful influences on each other Listen to what John Henry Jowett said about us. I love this. He said, he was commenting on the passage that says, you know, if you go to war and you have uh, people that are with you that aren't courageous, send them home. He goes, because we don't want them to melt the hearts of the other guys. So send all the guys, the, send all the cowards home. But just, I'd rather have a few brave men than people that are pulling the group down. So here's what Jowett says. Our moods are contagious, and they are swiftly contagious. Your words can sound as bugles for action, or they can drip like a chilling drizzle of discouragement. Your deeds, they can inspire leadership, or they can be ministers of depression. Who has not recognized the contagious influence of a murmuring mood or the presence of Mr. Pessimist that discourages great ventures. Uh, he may he, say little or nothing, but his unglowing spirit lays an icy constraint on everyone in the meeting. The presence of Mr. Fearful lowers the moral temperature, and so does Mr. Despondence and his daughter, Miss Much Afraid. It is not that they say much, for they're often very reticent, but they rob the atmosphere of its inspiring vitality, and they freeze all the warm, genial currents of the soul. Who does not know the chilling influence of Mr. Doubtful, whether at wedding or funeral or business meeting. And who does not feel the damp stuff is in the fire when he's present and you're trying to kindle some noble, venturesome enterprise? Who does not know Deacon Flatsoul, a once lively liquid that's lost its effervescence? What a business it is to keep exuberant when Flatsoul attends the meeting and <laughs> stays to the end. These moods are dangerously contagious and we must bestir ourselves to keep immune. You are going to have some people in your life who are a drag. 
We all do. Don't look around right now. But you've got to put people in your life that inspire you, right? You've got to have some people in your life who are further down the road than you are, that have exemplary qualities, who have intimacy with God. I'm just telling you something, that's money. Number four, focus your heart on the Lord as you go to sleep. In chapter 63, uh, Psalm 63 and verse 8 says, um, I'm sorry, verse... Uh, Six says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. And then there's a similar passage in Psalm 42, verse eight. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. By night, his song is with me. If you study the Bible carefully, study the Psalms carefully, you're gonna notice that what you have on your mind when you go to sleep at night is gonna have a profound effect on your life. So Worship at nighttime before you go to sleep displaces lustful thoughts that might be there. And worship at nighttime on your bed displaces greedy thoughts that might be. And worship displaces worried thoughts that might be there. And worship displaces angry thoughts that might be there. Covetous thoughts. Worship God when you go to sleep at night. Intimacy with God. Here's how I go to bed at night. I love going to bed at night. Here's how I go to bed at night uh, after I get off my phone. Lois and I, I, I always lean over and I go, Honey, I'd rather surf the phone with you than anybody in the world. Although some of the people that she listens to on the phone are so irritating. But anyway, so after that's over with, we turn our phones off. Here's, what, here's my last thing before I go to sleep at night. Every night, love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I love you. Thank you. Deer go to the water at night, too. Number five, don't meditate on your enemies, but meditate on your great ally. This is the part there in both of those psalms where there's a, there's a obviously there are enemies threatening David. In both cases, they're lengthy uh, passages we'll study maybe another time. But, but you'll notice that when, when David lays down at night, if he's going to have intimacy with the Lord, he doesn't think about his enemies. He thinks about his friends. He doesn't think about his enemy. He thinks about his ally. He doesn't think about who's against him. He thinks about who's for him. I can tell you from personal experience, it's pretty fruitless to concentrate on your enemies, but it's fruitful to concentrate on your friend. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, that's the deal. It's fruitful, it's wonderful, it's powerful, it's invigorating. It inspires intimacy with God to concentrate on our friends. Here's the final one. Uh, final way to call it intimacy with the Lord. Number five was don't meditate on your enemies, but meditate on your great ally. And number six is lift a heavy spirit with a lever of praise and you praise him most importantly when you don't feel like it. That's the most important time to give him praise. Start to sing, give him praise. Don Whitney is a professor at Southern Seminary in Louisville. He's written some gorgeous devotional books. He's talking about his own spiritual influence and he said one of the greatest spiritual influences of his life was his grandfather. And he came home every day with a hymn on his lips. He walked in the door every night with a hymn on his lips. Don said, I've never escaped the influence of that hymn, that joyful man who walked with God and he walked in the door every night with his song on his lips. God help us to lift our heavy spirits with a lever, with a lever, it's amazing what you can do. Praise, it's like a lever. I pray that God will give you a special sense of his intimacy. We're gonna pray and we're gonna sing together. Beautiful song expresses our praise. Let's stand together while I pray, please. Stand together while I pray. Thank you, folks.
Now, Heavenly Father, we quiet our hearts before you, thinking about, Lord, we look forward to this spring-like week, the return of the sun to our part of the world, the flowers rising up through the grass, bird songs, Easter coming, Palm Sunday, Good Friday. Look forward, Lord, to being out spot in the yard and watch the sun go down. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see how we can have a deeper intimacy with you. Enjoy that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.